Thank you. What a beautiful song on the sword of the spirit. There's that beautiful combination of the word and the spirit that is so explosively powerful. But tonight, Galatians chapter 5 in the word of God, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, good to see you on this Lord's Day uh, evening. I'm glad to see that so many of you took a nap. Uh, because uh, that means I'm hoping that you won't take it now. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I uh, trust you've had a good afternoon. And uh, let me mention a couple of books. We have a table of uh, materials there. I have a ministry called Revival Focus. And uh, just uh, some books and music that expand the emphasis uh, that the Lord has laid on our hearts for the meetings. There's a book on the table that I wrote called The Revived Life. It is dealing with personal revival, a progression of truth really on the spirit-filled life. Starting with that longing heart that knows there's got to be more. And the Bible said he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And so then it goes into the provision truths. Starting out with the provision of the blood to cleanse us as we walk in the light. And then it goes on to the provision of the Spirit uh, to enable us as we walk in the Spirit. And then the provision of our throne seat to war from the throne over the enemy. We don't hear much about spiritual warfare, but it's a glorious, phenomenal truth. And then it goes in how we access that and what we call the surrender exchange, Romans 12, 1 and 2, on into the overcoming life of uh, dealing with uh, how to take the way of escape, on into the overflowing life, how to impact others with the very life of Christ. And the final chapter is dealing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I referred to that terminology this morning. As the Bible uses it, we need to know it. I realize that is a phrase that sometimes is misused, uh, but uh, it goes into detail on that. And really, that's the whole package as you put the pieces together. So that one's dealing with personal revival. Uh, then there's one dealing with corporate revival, and that is called the revival journey. In other words, personal revival is really the filling of the Spirit. When you are uh, restored to life again, when the Spirit is filling you with the life of Jesus, so that as was sung tonight, Christ is living in us, and it's manifested by faith, and you're experiencing life again on the personal level. Corporate revival is when God fills the atmosphere with His Spirit. There's a difference between God's omnipresence 
and his manifest presence. God is everywhere present. We know that as a doctrine in scripture. But right now, all across this area of Michigan, there are thousands of people who are not conscious of God. God is not even in their thoughts. But do you know if God were to pour out his spirit on this region, every human being, saved or lost, would become aware of the presence of God. That's when truth sinks in. See, it's when the powers of darkness are banished and the power of the Spirit is displayed so that the Word of God has free course. There's no interference. The enemy's been banished. And that's when it has that free course and is glorified. It's given its weight. And uh, so uh, this is dealing with that whole uh, concept. It's another progression of truth. There are phases uh, that you can see in the whole matter of a corporate revival. Uh, Again, uh, starting when people realize there must be more, on into phase two when they begin to seek God's reviving presence. Phase three is when God pours out his spirit. That's why people say God has come. God has stepped down from heaven in phrases like this. And that leads people to brokenness because when you see God for who he is, you see sin for what it is. And that's what brings us to our knees in repentance and confession and brokenness. But that's what leads into the blessing of life again, which is revival itself uh, in that larger way. And so uh, uh, one book on personal, one book on corporate. Well, tonight, let's look at Galatians chapter 5. This morning, when we dealt with the five commands regarding the Holy Spirit, one of them was Galatians 5.16. I said we would touch back on that. And so we are going to tonight. Uh, Galatians is an amazing book as it deals with a common error, an error that has taken place in recent decades, I believe, uh, even among independent Baptist churches here in the United States of America. We had a great season of blessing in the 1970s, but somehow in walking away from uh, the emphasis on the Spirit, perhaps because of the overreaction to others who got into uh, some excesses, uh, then we walked away from the real life that we so need. That's the Galatian error. It's trying to live the Christian life without the life of Christ. It's a major error, uh, and it's very common. And so this is confronted in, uh, in uh, chapter 1. Uh, Paul, by inspiration, deals with those who pervert the gospel. And then in chapter 2, he records his confrontation with Peter, when Paul withstood Peter to the face. It's amazing. That's recorded for us in Scripture. And uh, that uh, record of his words is found in verse 14 of chapter 2 down to verse 21. In that confrontation, he deals with two major truths. There's justification by faith. Galatians 2.16, one of the greatest verses on justification. And then sanctification by faith. Galatians 2.20. We sang it tonight. Christ lives in me. And all of that was in the confrontation that Paul had with Peter. And Peter wasn't teaching wrong. He was associating with those who did. It's a pretty powerful uh, a truth for us to consider. Then he goes into chapter 3. Having begun in the spirit by faith, are you now made perfect? Do you mature uh, uh, through works, through back to self-effort? And of course, the answer is no, it's not through the flesh. It was never through the flesh to begin with. And he continues that theme into chapter 4. And now we come to chapter 5. Verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the flesh and attempt to live for God. It won't work. The flesh can't save you. The flesh can't sanctify you. Don't go back to that yoke of bondage. And that's what many do. That is the Galatian error. He said, no, stand fast in the liberty. It's all by grace. It's all through faith. Don't go back to self-effort. Don't go back to the yoke of bondage of flesh effort or flesh dependence. On the other hand, verse 13, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So verse 1 is dealing with flesh dependence. Verse 13 is dealing with flesh indulgence. If you do not correct flesh dependence in an attempt to live for God, you will end up in flesh indulgence. Because flesh is flesh. And a lot of people who depend on their own strength to live for God and they create this form of godliness, and there is a form, but they deny the power thereof because it's just by the flesh then inside there's corruption. And a lot of this outward exterior that looks good, if we actually knew the truth, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet. There's a lot of sin. 
There's a lot of junk because flesh dependence uncorrected leads to flesh indulgence. And so he's dealing with, look, there's a liberty. It's found in a life. His name is Jesus. And if you don't access that, then you're going back on the one hand to flesh dependence, the yoke of bondage, or on the other hand, you end up in flesh indulgence. And so on the one hand, you end up in a legalistic mode, a Christian legalism. That's an oxymoron. But it is something that's out there. Or you end up in Christian license, another oxymoron. Both of those are there. What we need is Christian liberty, and it's found in a life. Any answer other than in the person of Jesus misses it. And you will end up in one of those ditches of flesh dependence or flesh indulgence, of legalism or license. So he says, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even of this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Problem is, that's hard to do. (laughs) In fact, it's impossible on our own. That's why we need the Spirit. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. What an interesting verse. This is given to God's people. It's given to people who fell into the Galatian error of life and attempted to live for God, to be lived for God without the power of the Spirit. And when that happens, we bite and devour. We think that Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples that you separate one from another. (laughs) And uh, we miss out on the reality. No, 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 there's there's a love that is supposed to be that mark of real discipleship. Well, how are you going to have that? Well, let's read on. Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Ah, there's that command, one of the four, excuse me, one of the five. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit. The spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Have you ever felt that battle? (laughs) Sure, we feel it every day. Verse 18, but if ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, what in the world does that mean? Some take that as an occasion to the flesh. Well, no, we're not supposed to do that. Verse 13 already gave us that guardrail. So what does it mean? Because it does say this, that if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. That is what it says. Now, we say you're not under the law, but you really are. (laughs) And, you know, we pick and choose what parts of the law we like, and we ignore the rest. And uh, we take uh, take away, you know, uh, remember the Sabbath day, and we plug it in with tithing or whatever. (laughs) And uh, we come up with our, our law system. But it actually says... You're not under the law. So what does that mean? We'll come back to that. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, it's not hard to tell. It's obvious. When you are flesh indulgent, it's obvious. Works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. There's a lot of that, folks. Fornication. Sexual sin of any kind, even beyond the marriage bounds. It could be before people are married and so forth. Uncleanness, all the junk and compromise that leads up to it. Lasciviousness, this unrestrained living. There's no morality at all. Describing unsafe culture, and yet this is talking to believers. Has it ever occurred to you that unsaved flesh and saved flesh looks exactly alike? Then it moves to religious sins, idolatry, witchcraft. And then the relationship sins, hatred, variance, that's contentions, emulations, that's jealousies, wrath, strife, seditions, that's divisions, heresies, schisms, envies. Then it moves to social sins, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, this list could be longer, but if you use your head, you can figure it out. <laughs> and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, friends, he didn't say shall not enter. He's talking to believers. He just told them, walk in the Spirit. They're believers. But as I mentioned this morning, when you indulge the flesh, you're not accessing the Spirit, and you're missing out on your inheritance now, which will affect your inheritance in the kingdom. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit... 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no law against those. It's above the law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. What an incredible statement. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Verse 25, walk in the Spirit. That one's actually not in the imperative, uh, but it uh, is, of course, conveying the same uh, uh, emphasis. But verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. I want to speak tonight on the Holy Spirit and the fruitful walk. Let's pray. Will you join me? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher tonight. Blessed Holy Spirit, we need you now to open the eyes of our understanding to what it is to walk in the Spirit and manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, use truth tonight. Words, as were sung about a moment ago. Lord, to set us free to this liberty found in the life of Jesus. So again, I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the evil one who seeks to keep us from that which will change us into Jesus' image. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you at the throne once again. And in your name, that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this hour and trust you that that not be allowed at all. Lord Jesus, may you be lifted up. May we bow the knee to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in Bible college, I remember I was reading through the book of Galatians, and I came to chapter 5, a book and a chapter I'd read a number of times before, but you know how it is when you're reading the Word of God, all of a sudden, some words come alive to you. And though you've read them before, it's as if you've never seen them before. Ah, that's when the Holy Spirit is igniting the truth and uh, making that truth live. And verse 16 came alive. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I'm sitting there as a college kid thinking, wow, what a promise. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I needed that. I thought, man, what a promise. Then I wondered, I wonder what it means to walk in the Spirit. Sadly, I wondered that for years. And it doesn't have to take that long. Some of us are slow. (laughs) The more self-righteous you are, the longer it takes. That's what I was. (laughs) So I'm now a recovering Pharisee. (laughs) Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? But the fruit of the Spirit... What really is the fruit of the Spirit? We're going to see tonight that walking in the Spirit accesses the fruit of the Spirit. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, tonight, let's hone in on seven clarifications that I trust will answer these two major questions. Number one, what we're dealing with, and this comment is dealing with the fruit of the Spirit, is a singular plurality. You say, now that sounds like a contradiction. I know. It's one of those things, as I mentioned earlier, that we call an oxymoron. Now, an oxymoron's not a person. <laughs> uh, it's two terms that uh, seem to contradict, but they're conveying something. It's like going to the seafood restaurant, and it says, jumbo shrimp. <laughs> but we get the idea. Okay, and so uh, we're talking tonight about a singular plurality or a collective singular Say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let's talk with the more obvious. First, the plurality part of this, back there in verse 22, says the fruit of the Spirit is, and we have nine graces listed. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. starts with love. I personally think that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that the other eight graces manifest that love. I say that because God is love. And so the fruit of God is love, and here's what it looks like. (laughs) And so forth. But let's talk about a few of these words. I won't deal with all of them. But love is that word, agape. You've probably heard of that. It's that most powerful term, that highest form of love, that volitional love, that love that does right regardless. It's unconditional. It does right even when you're wronged. I was in a meeting one time in Minneapolis. The pastor came by and said, hey, uh, there's some, some uh, parents of some kids in our school. They don't come to our church, but uh, they claim to know the Lord. But uh, they called. They're, they're having a big fight. And they've asked me to come over. He said, would you join me? I thought, all right. (laughs) 
So we got there. And sure enough, it was heartbreaking. As each one vomited out words of hate and spite. Damaging words. I'd never seen or heard such a thing. Never saw my parents do that. But it's in a lot of homes. And so when they finally came up for air, I addressed the husband. Ephesians 5. Love your wife. Pointed out it's a word that means to do right even when you're wronged. And he looked at me and said, it can't mean that. (laughs) I said, it does. No, what's he saying? What he's saying is, well, that's impossible. And that's the point. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is supernatural. It's not natural to us. It is not natural to us to do right to someone who wrongs us. But it is the fruit of the Spirit. Wow. Joy. This is not soul-level happiness. The world has that. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's deeper than the soul level. It's down on that spirit level, that, the deepest level. This is a joy. The joy of the Lord that is our strength that can be accessed even in the dark valley. Even when the soul level of happiness is just not there. There can be an access of this joy of the Lord that is our strength. Why? Because it is supernatural. How about peace? The peace of God. It passes all understanding. How many doctors and nurses have been baffled and walked in, uh, walking into a room and here's a, uh, a believer and, and they tell them terrible news and the believer is at peace. See, it's supernatural. How about long suffering? That's the opposite of short suffering. Now, most of us know what short-suffering is, so long-suffering is the opposite of that. Well, at any rate, again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's supernatural, that patience of Christ. And on and on we could go. Let me jump to the last word, temperance. That is a spirit-energized self-discipline. Now, it's not just self-discipline. The world has that. Some of them. (laughs) This is a spirit-energized self-discipline. Now, this is thrilling. You may be here tonight and you have poor character through wrong choices, Prior to salvation and even after salvation, by indulging the flesh, you have poor character. I'm going to tell you something, friend. If you start accessing the Holy Spirit, you can access spirit, energized, self-discipline. That means there's hope. But there's nine graces listed there. That's the plurality. Let's go to the singular. It says in verse 22, but the fruit. Now, the word is singular. Now, often I hear uh, God's people will say the fruits of the Spirit. And I understand what they're saying because there are nine graces. But we do believe in verbal inspiration, don't we? And there's a reason why that word is singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means that all nine graces are manifested simultaneously. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And when that's real, there's joy. And there's peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. And it's all simultaneously manifested. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus manifesting the character of Jesus. And you know what? He's consistent. He's all of this at once. Always. He's never partial in this. Where this one is there but this one isn't. No, he's, he's all. He is love. Therefore, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And that whole package is there. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Which means that if you're thinking, well, you know, I've got this one down and this one down and this one and this one, but I need to work on this one, this one, and this one. You don't have any of them. The ones you think you have are imitations. Because when you have the real deal, the fruit of the Spirit is all nine at the same time. I said that once in a meeting, and the pastor told me the next day, he said, yeah, my wife and I were going home afterwards. He said, it was kind of quiet. And he said, my wife spoke up and said, so, it's all or nothing. (laughs) Kind of a rude awakening, isn't it? 
remember a dear lady in a meeting in Kansas, testimony time, she said, I was one of those who thought, you know, I got this one, this one, this one, I got to work on this one. And she said, what an awakening to realize I really didn't have what I thought. All I, all I had was the fleshly imitations on a few. Now, you can go to a store like Pier 1 Imports, and I'm going to tell you, they've got some pears that look real. But if you take a bite, they're not. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit. Singular plurality. Like a, a garden, singular, of flowers that has roses and hydrangeas and so forth and so on. There you have it. Singular plurality. Let's go to a second clarification. Divine life. The fruit of the Spirit. What we're dealing with here is divine life. Isn't it interesting that in verse 19, when it talks about the flesh, it says, now the works of the flesh are, but when you get to verse 22, it says, but the fruit. Why doesn't it say the works of the Spirit? Obviously, the Spirit works, but the emphasis here is fruit. See, it's emphasizing divine life. Now, I've been based out of Michigan since 1998, but I grew up in Chicago. And for me, fruit was in the grocery store. <laughs> uh, I knew intellectually it was out there on plants and trees and whatever. Uh, but, you know, as a city kid, you don't see much of that. So when I began to uh, hit the road in evangelism, man, have I enjoyed seeing fruit where it really comes from. Of course, here in Michigan, the orchards. <laughs> Beautiful. And I've been in the San Joaquin Valley many times in California. Everything that you can think of uh, uh, agriculturally, just lush. I was in a meeting once down in Florida, and across the street from where I was parked was an orange grove. And boy, those oranges were sitting there. I just had to go over there and watch. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever sat in an orange grove to just watch oranges grow, but uh, I was doing it, you know. Uh, it was fascinating to me. I mean, here are these big, beautiful balls, these oranges. And, you know, I didn't hear any grunting and, and uh, agonizing and, and toiling for all of this to happen. <laughs> it's fruit. Ah, See, not works. It's fruit. See, it's emphasizing divine life. Christ's life manifested. He's the source. He's the fountain. You see, the flesh cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. All we can do in the flesh is imitate. Form without power. The life of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. That means spiritual fruit demands a spiritual root. We could say the root of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is not something you and I do through mere human self-effort works. It is something we allow. We saw that this morning. Something we allow God to do through the cooperation of faith. And faith is not a work. It's dependence upon God. And then he moves. See, divine life. Thirdly, what we're dealing with is an overcoming positive. Now, we often miss this because of a misunderstanding in regard to the Holy Spirit. In verses 19... Uh, and following on the works of the flesh, it talks about moral sins. We mentioned that religious sins and relationship sins and social sins. And so often we think, okay, well, if I'm not committing adultery and I'm not committing fornication and I'm not involved in witchcraft and blah, blah, then I must be filled with the Spirit. No, not necessarily because unsaved moralists can imitate. There are unsaved moral people. And they're not spiritual because they don't even have the Holy Spirit. See, it's self-righteousness. So to just say, well, if I don't do these things, I'm spirit-filled. No, that's missing it. But when you're spirit-filled, you don't do these things. See, it's an overcoming positive. Back to verse 16. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So people think, okay, if I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, I must be walking in the Spirit. And what that is, is that self-effort attempt to grit your teeth, take the matter of anger. And uh, people say, well, you know, I had this, uh, some provoking thing happen, and man, I was boiling on the inside. But boy, I gripped my teeth, I didn't say a word. And even though I was boiling, I never said anything. That must be victory. <laughs> no, that must be difficult. <laughs> Real victory is when you access Jesus, and he doesn't even want to lash back out. See, that's that overcoming positive. 
So we get it backwards and we think, well, if I just can, you know, you know, if I can just suppress these things, I must be spirit filled. No, that's just suppressing these things in the power of the flesh. That's that yoke of bondage. But when you access the spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's an overcoming positive. See, we often get it backwards. In other words, we get it backwards because we focus wrong. We often, instead of focusing on Jesus and the ministry of the Spirit, we focus on not doing certain things. We focus on our less. Don't do these things. Do this. Don't do this. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some things we should do and there's some things we should don't. <laughs> but if you just focus on a list, you're missing it. Because you're going to be self-dependent. And I'll explain further why in a moment. But that's not it. Unsaved moralists can focus on a list. That's what they do. Our focus is on a person. And friends, when you focus on the person and access his life, that's that overcoming life. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. In other words, what we're dealing with is not a set of rituals of what you do and not do. It's a relationship with a person. And friends, when that is the case, instead of being in a prison of don'ts, I can't do that, I can't do that, and I set up my walls, and I'm in that prison of don'ts. No, when you access Jesus, you're in the freedom of won'ts. There is a radical difference. The one is a dependence on the walls, the other is a dependence on the person. And when you just depend on walls... Eventually, life is going to take you outside the walls, and now your object of dependence is gone, and down you go. We watch it all the time. But when you depend on the person, you're protected. And yes, he'll lead you to some guardrails and walls, but now your dependence is on him instead of the walls. There's a difference. You see, it takes you from that that difference, uh, uh, from that prison of don'ts to the freedom of won'ts. In other words, what we're dealing with in this overcoming positive is liberating, not binding. Any atmosphere that's oppressive rigidity is not the Holy Spirit. It's flesh counterfeit sanctification. Now, when you access Jesus, there's freedom. There's freedom to do right. There's the the, the liberty of his very life. You know, a criminal may be kept from acts of crime by being put behind bars. But a changed heart walks in love and is free from the acts of crime without being put behind bars. When we came to our church in Chicago in 1966, I was four years of age, and at that time the church was in the city limits, and there was a man in our church by the name of George Mensick. George Mensick had formerly been in Al Capone's gang. What a story. I don't have time to go into the whole story. But I mean, his wife got converted first and then his daughter. And then over time, as they prayed for him, he got converted. That's a phenomenal story in and of itself. Uh, but uh, when he got saved, he went to the leaders of the gang and said, you know, you've got to change my jobs in the gang. <laughs> and then he discovered there weren't any jobs <laughs> that really fit a believer. And so he left the gang and they let him. He was so changed. They let him leave. At first, he got a job sweeping streets in Chicago, and they'd come by in the black limousines and roll down the windows and wave the wads of $100 bills at him. Say, George, anytime you want to come back, come on, man. And he'd wave them on. God gave him victory over certain habits immediately. It took him two years to get off of heroin, but he continued to grow in the Lord and grow in grace. And the Spirit of God was working that change into the image of Jesus that we were talking about. And God began to burden him that he needed to preach to people behind bars. Now, how's he going to get into the jails of Chicago when he's got a criminal record himself? The Chicago Police Department was so impressed by the change in George Mensick, they threw away his record. And they let him into those jails, and he saw hundreds of people come to Christ, many of whom later became preachers. You see, yeah, you can keep a criminal from acts of crime by putting him in a prison. But when the heart has changed... You're free from the acts of crime without the prison walls. That's what we're talking about when it comes to the spirit-filled life. It is this overcoming positive. Number four, what we're dealing with is a present fact. Now, if you look at your Bible in verse 22, it says the fruit of the spirit. And what is the next word? The fruit of the spirit is. Did you notice it doesn't say will be? Now, I love the will be's and the shall be's of scripture. They're called promises. They are potentialities 
They're glorious, and according to Hebrews, we can obtain promises through faith. Hebrews 11.33. But promises are a little bit out there. They're the will-be's and the shall-be's, which means they're not right here. Does that make any sense? They're potential. However, when you see the word is, it's not a will-be. It's not out there. It's an is. It's right here. It's not a potentiality. It's a reality. Now. Well, why does it say is? Why is it a reality now? It's because there's a person, and his name is Jesus, and he lives in you right now. In fact, the song we sang tonight, Christ Lives in Me, taken from Galatians 2.20, that's in the present tense. Christ is living in me. Not will be, is. But the end of the verse says, by faith. And so if you don't get the faith part, then you miss out on benefiting from what is. But the is is there. Now, if the is is there, then you don't have to ask for it. When we ask for what God says is, it means we don't believe it is. And God's gracious with us. And, you know, he'll say, look, it's already there, so why don't you just take it? But, you know, you can save a lot of time if you realize when it comes to a fact you can start by taking. Now, promises you need to ask for. Why? Because they're not is yet. But facts you can just take. Let me switch to the wording of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. Thanks be to God, which or who gives, see present tense, is giving us the victory, Jesus. It's the same truth as Christ lives in me. It's the same truth as the fruit of the Spirit is, because that's the Spirit of Christ. Okay, so here it is. All of this truth, Christ is living. Thanks be to God who is giving us. Well, if he is giving, then we should be taking, receiving. Receiving, there's our word from the first point this morning. Wow. See, the provision is there, but we have to take. And you ought to be courteous and say thank you. You know, it's good etiquette. Do you know that the thank you means that you believe you have received? Thanks be to God who has given us the victory. Paul says in Romans 7, after attempting to live for God without the Spirit of God, Oh, wretched man that I am, who? He's tried the watts. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. See, he just took through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, and so on. You don't have time for a delay. When something comes up and you need this provision, if you've got to go through all this, you know, asking whatever, forget it. You're already stumbling down. Praise the Lord for the facts. And praise the Lord for the promises. And those are glorious too. But praise the Lord for the facts, the realities. Friends, when you need love, the fruit of the Spirit is love, which means you can take immediately. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And now when you act, it's not just you trying to fake it. It's the Spirit imparting to you the love of Jesus. Long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. And now when you act, it's not you trying to fake it, gritting your teeth. But you're actually enabled to speak a soft answer supernaturally. Fruit of the Spirit is temperance. And here's this temptation to think impurely. Thank you, Lord, for your purity. And now when you act, it's not just you trying to look the other way while your heart is over there. (laughs) No, you're free to look the other way. Why? Because you access Jesus. And you're free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. Whoa. That's phenomenal. Is. Present fact. Which means we can take and then act. See, often what I used to do is try to act. And when you just act, it's just you. And either you crash and burn or you have form without power and then you get proud. And all of that is self-righteousness. But when you take and then act, (laughs) now we're dealing with spirit-energized actions. So trust and obey, take and act, trust to obey. That's when you experience the present fact, the reality. Number five, what we're dealing with is a simple walk. Back to our question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? 
Well, let's shorten the question for a moment. What does it mean to walk? Walking is reiterated steps. <laughs> oh, okay. So walking in the Spirit is reiterated steps in the Spirit. Now, we still don't know exactly how to do that, but at least helps us a little bit. That means it's just one step at a time. This whole life of faith, we sometimes get overwhelmed, is just one step at a time. See, Satan tries to get us on the one hand to look backward and say, oh, look at your past. Look how you've blown it. There's no hope for you. Wrong focus. That is a lie. Or he gets us to look in the future and say, oh, yeah, you're in this special Bible conference right now, but give yourself a couple days, buddy, and you're going down. You're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to go down. <laughs> well, you're already on your way. But you, when you presently trust, he presently enables. So it's one step at a time, but what are the steps? And this is what I referred to this morning from Colossians 2.6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So let me ask again. How did you receive Christ? By faith. Then it says, so walk ye in him. So how do we walk in him? How do we walk in the spirit? It's by faith. That means the steps are steps of faith. Just like you trusted Jesus to save you, and he did, trust him to sanctify you one step at a time. It's a walk. The Bible uses terms that we understand, a walk. That's, you know, we understand that. Now, what's interesting to me is that we have this phrase two times. First of all, it's an imperative, walk in the Spirit, verse 16. And then verse 25 is not an imperative, but it's the same wording in the English, walk in the Spirit. A couple interesting things about that. Both of those phrases do not have the definite article before the name Spirit. So I mentioned this morning when the definite article is inserted before a proper name, it emphasizes the person. Uh, when it is absent, it emphasizes the quality of that person, all that that person is, the operation, the power of that person. Now, in English, it's inserted in the translation because it would sound funny without it, so it's rightly rendered. But we do believe in verbal inspiration, do we not? And there's a reason why that, uh, that word is sometimes there. Like in verse 17, the definite article does precede the name spirit, emphasizing his person. But in verse 16 and verse 25, it's not there. Walk in Holy Spirit. Walk in that quality of the Spirit. Walk in all that he is. In other words, walk in, it's by faith, depend on all that he is. He's patience. He's love. He's purity, and so on. There's your temperance. And so we have all of this available to us. And so we uh, are here urged to depend on his quality, all that he is. But there's another interesting thing about this. The word walk in verse 16 and the word walk in verse 25 are not the same word. There's actually two different words here. Now, obviously, they're synonyms, but they have different nuances. And again, we believe in verbal inspiration. There's a reason for this. In verse 16, it's the word to walk about, to conduct oneself. So here is dependence on the quality of the Spirit to enable us for conduct. We could just say dependence upon his enablement to live right. But verse 25, when it says walk, means... To walk in a straight line or to keep in step with. Just like the military. And when they're marching and they keep in step with that leader. Ah, Same thing in a marching band. So verse 16 is dependence upon the power of the Spirit to enable us for right conduct. Verse 25 is dependence upon his power or his quality as leader. We saw both of those truths come out this morning in the various commands, one dealing with power, the other dealing with leadership. See, we take the power of the Spirit to obey the leadership of the Spirit. There you see them coming together. When we take His power for our will, <laughs> that's not how it works. When we use our power to obey His will, that's not how it works. And we usually end up in one of those errors. We go to God for his power, but it's for what we want instead of what he wants. So we're missing out on leadership. Or we're trying to follow his leadership, but we're trying to do it in our own strength. <laughs> so we're not depending on his power. Either way, you get messed up. But when you get both of these together, 
and you learn what it is to take his power to obey his will, now you are walking in the Spirit. You are keeping in step with the Spirit. You're trusting his power to obey his will, but you are in step with the leader. See, relationship. My biggest error was ritual instead of relationship. And what an awakening. (laughs) We're dealing with a relationship. That brings us to verse 18. I said we'd come back to it. But if ye be led, see leadership, of the Spirit. In other words, you're following His leadership. You're not under the law. So what does it mean? It means you can only have one leader at a time. Ah. And when you are actually following the leadership of the Spirit, you're under His authority as leader, that means you're not under the law. Now here's what happens. We sometimes have an awakening to His power. This morning, several of you articulated to me that God began to deal with you about too much self-effort to try to live for God, too much flesh dependence. So there's an awakening to his power. That's half of it. We also need to awa- an awakening to his leadership. Otherwise, here's what happens. And this is where I was when I finally awakened to his power. That was a great awakening. I gave you a little bit of that story this morning. But I was several years in coming to get to the next part of the awakening where he's the leader. Because if you don't get there, then what happens is, you, is, is you, you recognize, I need God's power. And then our focus, I said we'd come back to this, is it's got to play out like this. In other words, our goal, our leader, is how we think Christianity should play out. Our version of law living is what that is. Now, whatever you focus on, you depend on. Let me prove it to you from the scripture. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, right focus, the author of faith, right dependence. So when you're looking somewhere else, it's got to look like this. We have our box and our system. Then I don't care what we say about the power of the Spirit. If our goal, if our focus, if our leader is, it's got to look like this, our version of law living, then we're back to law dependence, which is flesh dependence. And you're back to the debacle of Romans 7. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. Ever been there? And that's why. Because we sometimes have this awakening to his power. It's a great awakening. And we're talking about his power. But when our goal, when the leader is law then we don't even have the power we're talking about because we're back to self-dependence, which means we don't even have the power of the Spirit even though we're talking about it. You see, Jesus is not only the source of life, power, he's the goal. And when we look to Jesus, his power, to get to our version of what things should look like, we're, we're saying that our version of law living is better than Jesus. And it's not. And this can't be right because I'm an evangelist. I'm in a different church every week, just about. And every church has a little bit different box. And so the goal changes from week to week. That can't be it. But when the goal is Jesus, then things play out right. Wherever you are on your journey. And that's going to look a little bit different from person to person because we're not all at the same place. And when you make sanctification a one-size-fits-all in areas where God doesn't make it black and white, then you're forcing people into your box, which is perpetual immaturity because that means they can't relate to the Spirit. That means the Spirit for life is not a science, it's an art. Science makes it one-size-fits-all. Everybody get in the box. Ah, you're doing the right things. You're spiritual. Now, friends, we've had enough of that kind of Christianity. We need to get back to true relationship with the Spirit. And when you're rightly relating to the Spirit, then then it's going to be what it ought to be where you are at that point. Now look, in the physical realm, two-year-olds make messes, right? (laughs) But we don't get mad at two-year-olds for two-year-old messes. That's what two-year-olds do. Now if the 20-year-old is making the same mess, we've got a problem. (laughs) Okay, so in the same way, God knows where we are in our journey. And... uh, Obviously, there are certain things that are very clear in Scripture. That's your plateau uh, of, of absolutes. But on that plateau, there are some variables. That's where you obey the Spirit. See, the written Word gives us the absolutes. The Holy Spirit shows us where we need to land within the absolutes to 
protect us from going off the edge and to compromise or to protect us from hindering or stumbling someone around us. So we need to obey him. But now our dependence is on him. See, relationship, not the list. Ritual. I hope this makes sense. This doesn't mean you don't have standards. It means your dependence is not on the standards because the standards are no longer your focus. Your focus is Jesus. And when he leads you to a standard, okay, then you better have it. But now your dependence is on him. See the difference? One is legalism, one is liberty. And people who throw everything out, that goes, that's the overreaction into license. That's wrong too. But when you access Jesus, then it plays out right. So a simple walk. And then, number six, what we're dealing with is a spiritual service. Verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13 says, but by love, serve. Now think, the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual, the fruit of the Spirit is love. By love, serve. That means this is a spiritual service. In other words... When you access Jesus, and the Spirit imparts to you the very life of Jesus, and he is love, and therefore joy and peace, all the way down to temperance, and all of that's being manifested. Now look, when that's real, isn't it a blessing to you? When you you experience the patience of Jesus, and you know, man, that was supernatural. (laughs) Or when you experience his his purity, and you know, well, that was supernatural, and so forth, and his love to that unlovely person, and wow, that was supernatural. Yes, it's a blessing to you, but you know who really gets blessed by it? Those around you. But by love, serve. See, it's a spirit service. In other words, yes, as the fruit of the Spirit is manifested, it's a blessing to us, obviously, but it actually is a far greater blessing to those around us. When you experience the long-suffering of Christ, the people who really get blessed are the people that you're long-suffering toward. Do you see it? That means they get to eat the fruit. But by love, serve. It's a spiritual service. I have a friend over in Ireland who said, John, I... I never really got to know your dad. He said, I was around him once for a couple of hours at an airport. He said, I don't even remember what he said. He said, but I, I, I was never the same. Let me tell you something, friends. My dad can't do that. But Jesus can. And when a man is spirit-filled and there are rivers of living water flowing out, then those around get blessed. See, there's that fruit of the Spirit. They get to eat the fruit. There's a touch from heaven. Wow. And this is available for every child of God. Spiritual service. And finally, the seventh clarification is there is a necessary prerequisite. Verse 25 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, if we've been made alive, if we've been born of the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You cannot walk in the Spirit unless you've been born of the Spirit. So the necessary prerequisite is you've got to be born again. But as all of this comes together, we see that, okay, walking in the Spirit, those steps of faith taking what God says is, and then acting, and the Spirit imparts to you that very life of Christ, and there's love and joy and peace and so on. Walking in the Spirit accesses the fruit of the Spirit. Now think of what this could do in our relationships. I would imagine there are some marriages, perhaps even in this audience, where things are a little tense. They're not good. It's more coexisting. Don't you think it would make a difference, in fact, maybe even radical difference, If husband and wife walked in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit was manifested. Just think if one spouse started walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit was that real. It's going to make a difference in the marriage. How about parent-children? You know, when teenagers grow up with Jesus, it's hard to walk away from his reality. See, that's what this is. The fruitful walk is Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting Jesus. Ah. You know, here, when you gather like you are right now, it's the assembly of Trinity Baptist Church in Flushing, Michigan. Not everybody is at the same spot in their journey and or even at the kinds of things you're facing at a given moment. Some right now may be on mountaintops. Others may be in great valleys. And every time we come and gather together, You've got to have a few people who are walking in the Spirit. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is real. People see Jesus, as we saw in the Sunday school hour, and there's that glow and that glory and that aura and that fragrance and that touch. Why? Because they need that touch. I was in a meeting a few weeks back, and there was a lady in the choir, and she was so aglow with Jesus. I thought, whoa. And see, when you come, people need to be touched by Jesus. Why? Because not everybody's at that same spot, and this edifies and picks up those who are in the dark times. In your workplace, you may have some pretty ornery, unsaved people. You know what? They need Jesus. And when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit manifests Jesus. And that fruit of the Spirit is real. And when you respond in love and in patience, and they're expecting you to respond, respond otherwise, it blows them away. And there's the reality of Jesus. Now, friends, all of, us lets, all of this lets us know, look, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is not us concocting, imitating, mimicking. And it lets us know that it's by faith, and faith means you realize I can't, but God can, therefore I trust. Which means then that the Spirit for life is not us becoming strong. That's a deception. And it was a great awakening when God sunk through my thick skull that this side of heaven, apart from my provision, I am weak. And I'll always be weak. But he's strong. And he will always be strong. And the spirit for life is not me becoming strong because then I wouldn't need him anymore. The spirit for life is us when we recognize we're weak and this side of heaven will always be weak so that we keep going back to him and trusting him and depending on him for his strength. That's the spirit for life. And friends, when you walk by faith and take that provision and then act on it, then he is imparting the life of Jesus to you. Sometimes you sense him carrying you. Other times you don't feel a thing. You say, why doesn't God give us the feeling all the time? Because then we start depending on the feeling instead of him. But when you're walking in the spirit and you are taking and then acting, you are trusting and then obeying, then he is filling you with the life of Christ whether you feel it or not. Can you be saved and know it? Yes. Because you feel it? No, because it says so. And in the same way, you can be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. Not because you feel it, though at times you may, but because the Bible says so. Back to the words. There is no access to the Spirit apart from words. Because the access is faith, and faith coming he- by hearing, and hearing by the, there's your combination. Words of life. Walk in the Spirit, and you'll access the fruit of the Spirit. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Friends, if our focus is off, it needs to get back on. If we are attempting... The Christian life without the life of Christ, that's flesh dependence. That's the yoke of bondage. On the other side of it, if we're saying, well, I have liberty, and then we're doing things that God says, no, it's manifest, that's the flesh. That's flesh indulgence. Wherever that's the case, let's get that right with God. But on the other side of this, let's start rejoicing. Let's start reveling. Look at this incredible provision. And we'll focus more on it as the series continues. Blessed Holy Spirit. Make clear to us the truth that we need for where we are right now in our journey. The Lord Jesus might be honored. Where we're flesh dependent, may we get honest about that and take the cleansing of the blood. Where we're flesh indulgence, may we get honest about that. Where we have a wrong focus, may we get that adjusted so we understand that you are both the power as well as the goal. Lord, make this real in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. I've taken a little bit too much time, so let me just turn the service back over.